0: This is Aliens and Artists, Episode 4, Part 2, with Sean as Bjorn Hargens. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Sean is the creator of Exostudies.org, a learning portal which offers a master course in an integrative metafield, exploring the psychological, sociological, and scientific implications of the UFO phenomena in all its empirical and mysterious facets. Before we move on from doubleness, it's everywhere once you look for it. To take one example, the is language, which is a constructed language I've worked on for many years. Doubleness is an intrinsic part of the grammar in the is language. Words can be pointed multiple directions, and the reason that's a feature of that language is the tongue is attempting to accommodate our experience of reality. It seems Artists are naturally familiar with doubleness in some sense and it might also help us more readily metabolize contact experiences, which is why I asked you about training doubleness as a capacity. Do you think doubleness is a line of development? Is it an inborn capacity that we can deepen?
1: I do, yeah. And, you know, one of the big focuses of exo-studies is around the, the cultivation of multidimensional awareness. And, and so part of what I look at when I, you know, am exploring doubleness and how to um, explain it is, you know, there are actually a number of pioneers of, you know, such as Goethe and his way of seeing, Goethean science, for instance, which combines a third person objective naturalistic orientation with a first person phenomenological orientation. And for him, for example, a big part of the Goethean um, approach to science is, is like this double scene where you engage the, the flower and you penetrate the flower through both kind of a rational analytic and an imaginative mode of seeing and being such that you make contact with what he calls the herb flanza, which is like the archetypal kind of essence or being. Um, and this is what allowed him like, and people who have been trained in Gertian ways of seeing, they can look at a single bone in an animal skeleton, and they can tell you all kinds of things about the whole organism, whether it's a herbivore or a carnivore, whether it's, you know, this or that. Like, there's so much information that they can extract from a single bone because they've developed this holographic vision that's essentially a form of doubleness. Um, you know, Blake even talks about double vision. Right. So a lot of the poets, you know, and Goethe is an amazing poet and scientist and philosopher. You know, a lot of these individuals, you know, and Ernest Jünger, um, you know, also has this um, approach to scene, a paradoxical scene. So there are these individuals who have pioneered cultivating kind of poetic, artistic, scientific modes of perception that are, I feel, an expression of this doubleness. You know, I think even koans, in a sense, are like a form of doubleness. You know, mm-hmm. when, like you're saying your is language is, or when the mantis being said, don't forget who you work for. <laughs> that's a doubleness, right? That's yeah. doubleness right there. Because right? yeah. yeah. you're left going, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> um, and so you're you're forced into a multidimensionality. You're, you're invited into seeing that there are multiple things happening concurrently. And this is what's so beautiful about is. Is that, yeah, it can go either direction, up and down, leftwards, backwards, you know, like it's, there's, and I think doubleness is in a sense my word, a stand-in for multidimensionality. And I think the artistic creative process is a bridge, and doubleness is a concept, and maybe some of the examples I gave is a way of understanding how it can be a bridge to living in an embodied way in a more multidimensional way you know, world space, um, and that it helps us build that capacity. So I think there are a lot of cities um, and psychic abilities that cultivate and, and support us in developing doubleness. Um, you know, and I think when we look at art, art's gonna, in a sense, change. I mean, like, I think of the folks at, at Dharmaher and the Temple of Mankind that they have, and the coiled um, bracelets that they have that are art. It's like jewelry, but it's also science. It's, you know, it's subtle energy technology, right? You know, and the mantis beans are, are known as the galactic geneticists, right? And so their art is creating new life out of genetics, right? Mm. You know, and so we often don't think of like bioengineering or genetic manipulation as a artistic creative process. But I think for many extra dimensionals, it is, you know, and it's like even hybridity, and, you know, and just the, the whole hybrid aspect of this phenomenon is a very interesting part um, of doubleness, too, and also artistic creative, you know, and in the life between life literature, you come across examples of people at, at certain high, you know, at, uh, being highly developed souls, if you will, where some of them learn and they go to different planets in their spirit bodies between incarnations, be those extraterrestrial incarnations or human incarnations. And, and what they learn to do is they basically learn to create, you know, different types of life forms on these planets using subtle energy. Right. And so when I read those descriptions, it's almost, to me, it sounds like, Oh, they're an artist they're learning to be an artist, but their, their medium is actually biological life, you know? And so, so I think, you know, there's so many new forms of expressing art that I think are going to emerge in this kind of post, you know, contact space. And it's really going to greatly expand our notion of art and creativity. Um, And of course, there's many ethical issues that come with a lot of those examples I just gave. So it's, you know, it's not that it's an unproblematic space.
0: That's a beautiful way to put it. I love it. Um, Let me take a turn here and ask you about the mantis insects and their relationship to the large mantis entities. Mantis insects have existed on this planet for almost 200 million years. They go back to the Jurassic. There are now over 2,400 species of them. The large mantis entities appear to be at the top of the holarchy, at least among the other beings that we find them working with, and uh, experiencers report them being among. How do we reconcile the insect variety with the
1: alien variety? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it is fascinating, and I've you know, I've come across people who make the case or argue that you know, that there's a very strong connection between, you know, the mantis beans and mantis insects. And then I've seen other people say, no, they're not. They just look like mantis insects to us, but, you know, they're more an energetic form. And, you know, so that's just kind of a form we project onto them or that they use to interact with us, but that's not, you know, and so you get these different takes on kind of what is the nature of that relationship and, and, you know, Kind of how strong or, or loose is it? And I think it's a great example of doubleness because on the one hand, our experience of mantis insects is that, you know, they're small, you know, they're, they're old, they're ancient, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of inconsequential, right? So there's kind of like this this miniatureness to them. But mantis beings, when we people encounter mantis beings, it's like they are the most wise and ancient and powerful beings of 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 many of the ET races, right? And so there's this doubleness, right, where it's like it's like there's a way in which our the experiencer experience of mantis beings is so different than our human experience of mantis insects, right? And it's I think it's a, a beautiful contradiction and invitation. It's like okay what is that about you know like how, how could that be how could these little teeny you know unpowerful insects be these amazingly powerful wise you know creators of the universe right you know like if you know how is it that these little insects actually created you know everything that we see right so there's there's this bizarre paradox and juxtaposition that i think is there um and and also i think there's there's something about i think in the human psyche and you know some deep archetypal aspect to this, and you know, and like the mantis beings, you know, being seven to nine feet tall, twelve feet tall, and purple robes, and all this—like it's just the, the the theatrics of it is just so striking. And 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 I think part of it is that you could not have a more alien other than that, mm. right? You know, it's like even reptiles, reptilians even though they're scary and can be overwhelming and they're kind of masculine, aggressive, you know, energy or how we project onto that, it's like, we often still somehow can connect to them in in their humanoid form. And like, I don't know, it's like, but there's something about, you know, the mantis being that just confronts us so directly with the non-human other um, in a way that I think kind of surpasses almost any of the other types of, of races and people's descriptions of them you know so again a kind of otherness between self and other and like you know and that to the extent that they are our fathers and mothers right they are our you know they are the ones who genetically likely played a big role in what's going on here you know so um so yeah i think there's some interesting links and i love that you've been doing the research around how many different species of mantis insects there are and how far back they go. Um, yeah. And, you know, and this is also, it's like when they're some things, it's like, if you look at the range of biological life on this planet, you basically find a correlate in an ET humanoid form somewhere in the galaxy. And I find this very intriguing and fascinating. Um, you know, it's like, there's, you know, mammals and reptilians and birds and insects, you know, like, you find, you know, and I recently did a blog on the 33 types of non human intelligences, you know, and, and, and it basically covers every kind of morphological possibility you can imagine. Um, you know, so almost every form that we find on this planet in, in terms of our biota, you know, the flora, fauna, you find some version of that as an extraterrestrial or extra dimensional non human intelligence. So, how is it or why is it? That every life form we see on this planet has a, a, an advanced civilization behind it, in a sense. You
0: know? Yeah. In the ancient alien sense, there is scant evidence of greys or tall whites in the archaeological record. But the mantis is virtually ubiquitous in that archaeological record. Across cultures, epochs, it is a totemic shamanic presence. Let's circle back to telepathy. What are the implications for art and creativity in a telepathic environment? If humanity becomes telepathic, what might that mean for artistry? And then part two of this question would be, why don't we see art in these alien, non-human environments?
1: Yeah, it is a very interesting observation that, you know, and you don't have pictures on the walls and UFOs. You don't seem to have interesting sculptures or objects on tables or desks, um, you know, within um, those spaces, neither. And, you know, and so so you don't have that kind of ornamentation, right? And so it kind of raises this issue, like to what extent is art, you know, equivalent to ornamentation? in the ways that we often think about it or or produce it here and you know it's like thinking about the ufo as art object right where like you know the the creativity of working with nanotechnology um you know at that level and scale you know like it's kind of like you think of some of the amazing designers of the 20th and 21st century you know like even some of like scandinavian designs and kind of like their minimalist approach you know and like there's just like this exquisite kind of sense of craft, right? And so mm. it, it's interesting that we even call them craft, right? You know, like arts and craft. Yeah. You know? like, so there, there is a way in which we recognize UFOs as art object, but it, it's such a different kind of art, you know? It's like, you know, and like you have often reports of beings that basically meld their consciousness with the craft in order to direct its flight. Right, and so you again, you have this doubleness and this te- telepathy occurring between um, the pilot and the craft itself and and this is partly why often you come across reports or indications that the UFOs while a machine are also in some sense sentient or alive, so again, this kind of paradox, this doubleness um, and you know that the the craft can actually morph into different forms and shapes um, in some cases, or people talk about they see a small craft landed in the field, you know, that's, you know, a little bit bigger than, you know, a big truck or something and they go in it. And once they get inside it, it's a lot bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Yes. So like how, how might that be a form of art? Right. And, and I've thought that maybe the craft are kind of, you know, have minimal art, you know, uh, objects within them and so forth. And, and we don't have a, as many reports and experiences of people going to other realms and worlds and, and and walking around in their buildings and in their cities and in you know however they socially organize and then reporting back to us kind of what they see and experience so sometimes I wonder you know if if there's a whole other kind of artistic expression on those worlds or in the mothercrafts right or, you mm-hmm. know, or or that that we're not yet having much contact with or exposure to. Um, And, you know, again, I think, as I was saying, I think part of it is that the art is in the genetic design. It's in um, new kinds of technologies that interface with consciousness or subtle energies. Um, So there's like, if we think of art as creativity, right, then it's like, what does creativity look like in the context of a UFO craft or in, in context of an ET culture? Um, how, you know, how, is, how does creativity shift in a, a telepathic culture or in a largely peaceful culture? You know, what, you know, and here we often use art to evolve our consciousness, right? And, and so how is art used in other ET contexts to evolve their own consciousness, mm-hmm. right? So here you get into geometry and, and light and sound, right? And, you know, and, and like a download, right? In a sense, it's like a terma. Mm-hmm. Right where you you encounter this packet of information that's like kind of you know more information that's packed into some like zero point you know space than you can imagine, and then you know even Tibetan masters talk about getting a terma um, that's like basically a single line, but it takes them ten years to write the seven hundred page unpacking of that one line Mm -hmm. right you know you know so often you you have this kind of you know this creativity in these other ways um and but yeah i think it's a fascinating area of like why don't we see more quote-unquote art in ufos or in you know um, encounters with non-human intelligences
0: The purple robe that many of these mantis entities wear is an interesting point. That robe is quite a fashion statement, actually, in the classic sense of adornment as expressive modality. That's a whopper of a robe. The high collar, the material, which is so fine, it's something you might find on a runway. We have to ask ourselves why. What does that adornment signify? it harkens back to the Scandinavian minimalism that you were talking about earlier. Those mantis robes are not loud or ostentatious. They're simple, but very finely made. It's precisely chosen. So maybe it's too harsh to say that they don't exhibit any artistic flourish. We just don't know what we don't know. We don't get to walk around in their native environment when they're not doing their work here with us. We don't know what their homes are like, so to speak. But to your earlier point, when a person steps into a craft, which is the size of a semi-truck on the outside, and then it's as big as a stadium on the inside, that is very creative.
1: One more point, and then we can go to hybrids. I think one way in which these beings are creative is that they create subtle Realities and subtle realms and like pockets of you know where basically they they create buildings or you know and and so they use thought and they basically like how we use paint to paint on a canvas they use thought and energy to create subtle realities that they or others can go into and mm. do things in so I think there's almost like it's like creating virtual reality but but like a a more vibrant form of virtual reality that's actually more energy positive and supportive, right? Um, You know, so I think there's these kind of subtle realms and pockets that get created as one form of their artistic expression.
0: Definitely. Great point. That also brings up the healing experiences so many people have, the application of their creative power toward healing a human body. I'd love to turn our attention to hybrids. You and I came out of the High strangeness closet at the same time, holding alien hands. We graduated from the same class in that sense. So I don't know if you've had this experience I have had since I came out. I've been contacted by a number of experiencers, but also a number of people who identify as hybrids. And it's been fascinating. At least a few of them believe, at least a few of them, I believe to be telling me their truth to the best that they know it. Um, The longer I know them, the more evident that sincerity is. And secondly, not only do they not want public attention, they are afraid of being found out or discovered. And they also don't have a bunch of clarity about why or what they're even waiting for, why they're here. What's your take on... Hybrids. What do you think the implications are for the planet in the coming centuries with the hybrids living here amongst us?
1: Yeah, it's it's such. In some ways, this is I think the most important topic in the in the space, right? and it's it's a in a sense it's the most uncomfortable topic too. Um, it's so profound. There's so many layers. It's it's so um, disorienting. Um, I have had many, um, interactions with people who identify as hybrids, um, you know, and, and when I read the book, meet the hybrids, it just blew me away. Like it just, I had no idea. And it just opened me up to this whole notion because in a way I had been conditioned to think of hybrids almost exclusively in kind of the, you know, gray alien abductee, you know, um, fetus in a bottle on a ship and, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, people being asked to interact with sickly little hybrid children, you know, like that whole kind of narrative, um, which I think that's happening. Like, I think that is, we have to take that serious. Um, you know, and when you read David Jacobs work, you know, and you're just like, holy shit, like they're, they're, they're setting the stage for an invasion, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have these hybrids, you know, living incognito and, um on the planet that look like us, but they're basically part of this larger strategic process. You know, like it's very disconcerting, you know, and um, you know, and then you read John Mack's work, you know, which is much more uplifting and and I think nuanced and you know kind of resonates more for me. Um, you know, and so it's confusing, right? And mm-hmm. um and now you we have this new category, which are basically people, you know, that like you and me who you know, for all intents and purposes have, you know, human DNA and the kind of physical genetic sense, but who seem to have what might be considered etheric DNA connected to different star lineages and star cultures. And, and that like in, you know, meet the hybrids on um, book, what's fascinating is like some people are, you know, identify as hybrids and have two, three or four different races that are their hybridity. And, you know, a couple of people have like 15, Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it, it was so such a great book because it really blew open some of the, I wouldn't say misconceptions, but like I just realized the whole realm of hybridity is much more dynamic and diverse than kind of that version of the gray, you know, um, narrative that I, I just mentioned. And, and it's even invited me to consider my own hybridity. Like in what way, you know, like what are we talking about here? Like might I also have etheric? strands of dna that connect me with you know different star cultures and Mm -hmm. if so um you know kind of my own doubleness like am i that and you know like wow like that's disconcerting that's exciting that's you know uh, you know that's a lot of things Mm -hmm. um and and i think you know and i really love the work of you know bashar and you know his descriptions of first contact and how we're basically going to be, you know, initially really openly interacting with the hybrids, you know, coming from the Ayal and the um, Asani and, and the other um, races who are hybrid races themselves, right, interestingly. and And for me, I've really considered how perfect it is that we would be confronted as a culture, as a global civilization, with ETs that are hybrids of ourselves because it's a doubleness it, it we we can't fully other them, and this is what's so when you read the descriptions of mothers who encounter their hybrid children who at first are somewhat repulsed by the morphological difference between what we take as a normal human and you know what is sometimes the case with these hybrid children with the bigger eyes or the bald heads or you know just the different features and and there's the, the alien other, and yet the bond of the mother is so strong that it overcomes the alien alterity and 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 connects in a sense at the heart. And so so it's almost like how perfect that they would use mothers as the first line of defense for creating a post-disclosure world. Wow. Right. Where where we're not able to fall collapse into our xenophobic tendencies as readily as we might otherwise. Because, like, if a bunch of mantis showed up, there's—it's not very hard to 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 other that and just be yeah. like, that's a scary demon. Like, let's shoot the hell out of it, and get rid of it, right? If a bunch of hybrids show up, that some of them look like us, exactly like us. Some of them don't. Some of them are taller. Some of them have bigger eyes. Like, it's confusing. You know, mm-hmm. wonderfully so. Like, we're we're thrown into the doubleness of self and other, like, is that an alien or is that a human? Is that me? Is that my family? Is that not, you know, like, so I think, I think there's the the self other liminal boundary is so potent here um, in the doubleness. And I'm very curious about kind of, you know, what unfolds over the next 50 years in this context, because with, you know, the, the human hybrids, you know, that are coming forward and recognizing themselves and, talking more with people like you and I, like, you know, that's becoming a stronger narrative in this space. And I I think it's going to play an important role moving forward with how we make sense of all of this, you know, so that we can, as a culture, as a Hollywood based culture can start to deconstruct um, the mainstay hybrid narrative, which I think is only part of the picture. And this is also why you and I have talked about my desire to see a film made that's basically about, you know a woman coming to terms with her hybrid daughter or daughter and son or something you know, and it 's like a human interest story of of her grappling with that, and in a way it has nothing to do with the alien dimension of it i mean that 's part of the story, but that 's not what 's foregrounded right and it 's almost like it 's a very subtle um you know trigger for consciousness globally to see you know a, a big budget film that where the core story is about a woman coming to terms with her, you know, recognizing she has hybrid children, um, but doesn't sensationalize the, the alien otherness of it and really focuses on the deep conflict and inquiry that the woman and the, the hybrid children are going through as they're coming back together in some sense as a family for the first time.
0: I could not agree more. It's a film that has to be made. Maybe you and I should write it together. Mm, um, I love that. It brings up, a great reflection on how this entire story has been told is probably a generous way to frame it. When you look at the history of film in relationship to these subjects, we started with a high-water mark of 2001, A Space Odyssey, and then we plummeted and have been in a shithole. And if we don't mature and tell the kind of story that you just framed up, if we don't find a way of telling stories that are commensurate with the enigma, it just won't be tolerable. It's not something that humanity can tolerate ultimately. One indication that there is a depth crisis is that we have an incommensurate relationship between how rich the human experience is versus how vapid our depiction of it tends to be. I want to pause now and just say thank you so much for the generosity of your time and the brilliant contribution you're making with exostudies.org. Tell us where to find your work and how people can engage with you. Just let us know what you have coming down the pipeline, aside from the movie that you and I are going to write together.
1: Yeah, it's, as always, it's, it's so wonderful to dance with you, Stuart, and to be swimming in these waters and kind of being in an inquiry and exploration together. And yeah, you know, one of the, one of the ways I'm an artist is actually as a meta theoristian, and I, I build meta models of reality. You know, and the harmonic enneagram work is one form of that. But the other is exo studies, and for me, exo studies is a meta disciplinary approach to the UFO phenomenon and you know all things anomalous and paranormal. And you know, basically, it's it's looking at how is it we live in a, a multidimensional multiverse and how do we explore that and how do we draw on, you know, 150 plus disciplines um, to shine a light on what that means. And, and, um, and, you know, and so, you know, I've been kind of building the intellectual architecture of Exo Studies, you know, for the last two years, you know, people can go to um, www.exostudies.org. And, and kind of see what's happening there. You know, one of the big things is starting in September, I have a year-long course uh, where we dive into 42 topics over, you know, the, the, the duration of the year. And, you know, these topics go, basically cover every imaginable aspect of EXO of studies that you could th- conceive of, you know, which is, again, you know, anomalous phenomenon, paranormal, UFO experiencer, and, but I do it with, you know, each week, there are four or five books that I've read that I'm drawing on to make some key points about that topic. And, and that list of books is on the website. There's about 150 books um, that I'll be marching us through during the course of the year. And that's embedded in a larger syllabus of 650 books that are kind of the background reading. And, and I say all of that just to highlight that I think part of my gift to this field and in, in, in developing exo-studies is really drawing on domains of knowledge that have often not been leveraged to understand better um, UFO and ET experiences. And I just think there's, there's so much you know, great things happening in like anthropology, for instance, um, great things happening in philosophy, you know, and, I, and I'm looking for ways to draw those insights and then apply them towards, you know, everything we've been talking about today. Right, so on the one hand, it's a very intellectual um, project, but it really just comes out of a deep thirst for wanting to better understand the multidimensionality of reality, and and I bring in a lot of embodied and experiential aspects to the process as well. So it's kind of like a, a head meets heart approach to you know deep transformative inquiry and exploration into the craziest topics that you can imagine, um, which I often like to summarize as, you know, know, looking for Bigfoot on Mars. (laughs) It's
0: some of the most impressive work I've ever seen on these topics. I highly recommend listeners sign up for your master course at exostudies.org today. I'd have to turn to the work of Jacques Vallée to find a comparable, inspiring canon of work. It's just great for experiencers, but it's also perfect for beginners, skeptics, anyone. No one paid me to say this. I'm just a huge fan, and I've been a benefactor of your work. Your work is just a great sign of hope for maturity and sophistication on these phenomena. I'll put that all in the show notes, and I'm just
1: sending you cosmic hugs. Great, thanks, Stuart. And I should just mention, real briefly, you know, the other big project I've been doing is the What's Up with UFOs website with Tom Curran, Com, which is aimed more at a kind of a mainstream overview of, you know, the top, you know, 150 videos and articles on UFOs in four major kind of categories. Um, so that's part of the XO studies as well, but it's, uh, it's the, the course that I was just talking about, the, the year-long one is the Red Pill course where we go down the rabbit hole. Uh, but people should check out the What's Up um, with UFO's website as well. Um, so yeah, great. Thank you, Stuart. Really excited to, to be you know, in partnership with you on, on so many different levels and looking forward to our next conversation. All right, lots of love.
0: Find out more at exostudies.org. And what's up with UFOs.com. Visual artist John Velez experienced contact with non human entities throughout his life. He created many arresting works of art depicting these beings, including short and tall greys. Among his many powerful encounters, he shared one in detail which involved countless hybrid beings aboard a craft. Velez stated quote, After one of the medical procedures, I was led down a series of corridors to another room. When we first entered the room, it was a long rectangular, metallic walls, floor, ceiling, no furniture, nothing on the walls. Just as we entered, the long wall that was over my left receded up into the ceiling and it revealed row upon row upon row of canisters. I don't know if they were made out of glass, plexiglass, plastic, I don't know, canisters. They were filled with a clear luminous green liquid and inside each canister was one of these little hybrids. It was just suspended in there. For a split second I thought they were specimens, they were dead. I was overwhelmed by the presence of their minds and their intelligence. I mean, I knew I was in the presence of a superior intelligence here. They were aware of me. They knew I was there. There must have been 10 to 15 rows high. And the shelves, the racks, were deep. There must have been thousands of these things in there. At that point, from the opposite end of the room, six of these alien creatures wheeled in a cart. Three of them were each holding two of these little hybrids. One creature was holding one and presented it to me. He brought it over and asked me if I was willing to hold it. It was so small, maybe 10 inches long, very frail. I could hold it in my cupped hands. I was afraid of dropping it, actually. At that point, I was told that these seven, they were seven sisters. I was informed that they were my offspring. I cried. I was terribly upset. I expressed this to them. I said, how can these be mine? They're, they're not human. And I was also terribly upset because I knew that they were going to take them away from me. These weren't offspring that I could raise or keep. They were being taken away from me. Hi friends, Stuart Davis here. Not the dead painter, the, the other living Stuart Davis. The dead Stuart Davis was great, but he no longer needs your support because he's moved on to other forms of currency. He's working in the discarnate economy now. I, however, for now would love your support. If you like the podcast, please consider becoming my patron. Just go to stuartdavis.com, click on the Patreon link, and transfer the sum total of your net worth, or another amount. And I will use that money to buy food and heat my house, put gas in my car, and take my dog to the vet, and of course, make more art. Thank you so much for your support. God is spirit Spirit is everything